I was just thinking of um, one of my favourite stories in schools, and it was actually in Chris's kids' old school in Beaumont. And um, I'd gone into school, I was teaching six formers, and um, uh, one of them was quite confrontational. And he said, um, aren't you just doing evangelism in school? And um, that's quite a scary word in schools. Um, you shouldn't really do evangelism in schools. as that It's an educational environment. And I, I just said, God, help me answer this. And uh, one of the pedigrees, one of the wonders of the vineyard is, is the way Chris and Fliss do evangelism because um, they just want to share Jesus. And it's not this heavy, hidden message. We, we, we know Jesus. We'd love you to know Jesus. And it takes away all the strain and all the pain and all the worry. And uh, that just popped into mind and something a guy, J. John, said once. And he said, um, evangelism is simply one beggar leading another beggar to food. And so I looked at this young lad, and I said, well, if evangelism is, is one beggar leading another beggar to food, I found food. And it, he, he looked at me, and he nodded. And um, later on, I was just getting in the car, leaving the school, and he came in, and he stood by my car on the door, and he said, can I come and sit in your car? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> If you leave the door open, <laughs> that's fine. And um, uh, he said, you genuinely have found food. And I was, yeah. And he said, so religion, you found food. And I was like, I found life. I found healing. I've found direction. I found hope. That's food. And he said, I want it. And I was like, that, that's, we're not really meant to do anything there. And he was like, what do I do? And I sat in my car with him thinking... I, I don't know what to do here because he's asking for Jesus, but um, we're not really meant to do this. And so, um, uh, so I said, well, go to a local church and, um, and someone will pray with you. And he was like, why can't you do it now? And I said, well, it's just a bit awkward, really. That's one of the deals with the school is we, you know, we, we won't do this. And he was like, okay. And so I felt like I was making it quite hard for him to find faith. Um, and so he went to Christchurch, High Oaks, and um, he, he found faith there. And then he came and did a gap year with us and worked with us. And um, just a wonderful moment. And I think for me, it's part of the pedigree I felt from this church. Is actually, when you talk about Jesus, um, stop being worried about, I've got to tell them about sin. I've got to tell them they're in wrong standing with God. The first thing's first, that he brought food to you. He gave you life. He's given you direction and purpose and hope. That's what people need to hear. The rest will follow, and he is more than able of enabling that to happen. But first, talk about the Jesus you love. So... Okay, I should probably start. Um, I have a little bit of an issue, and I didn't tell Chris this, but um, I'm used to doing a 15-minute assembly or an hour-long lesson. <laughs> and 35 minutes, I don't know how that really sits in those two, so um, maybe you'll get free assemblies or something. Uh, well, well, we'll see how I manage. Um, and I just thought I'd, I'd pray first. Um, scripture says this, that um, gratitude, thanksgiving is the password to God's presence. Um, so I don't know if you want to call to mind something that you are grateful for today. You may find it really easy. You might dig a little bit deeper. But here's a verse maybe to help you a bit. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive 
what God has got prepared for those that love him. King Jesus, I am so grateful for what you have done in me and for me and and thank you through me. But I I am astounded there is more. And um, the fact that I can't comprehend it, that I can't see it, um, I am so grateful. And I pray for us as as we spend the next 30 minutes together um, that we would have a sense of something more that, that we're just beginning to comprehend. And thank you, God, that what we have now here isn't it. There is more. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm going to talk about um, Peter. Just one conversation, in fact, around Peter. And to give you a bit of a backdrop on that conversation, I I want to tell you a few things. It's right at the end of his life. It's right at the end of the book of John. Um, And I'm... so Peter's sat round at the Last Supper. He's talked um, with his friends. And right at the end of this meal, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter, being the very typical sort of non-English kind of character, goes, well, who is it? Who's it going to be? And then, and then he, um, he says, um, uh, I would lay down my life for you in front of everyone, sort of demonstratively. And um, uh, a day later or so, He's standing by a charcoal fire, trying to keep warm. And he denies Jesus three times. I didn't, I don't, I'm not his disciple. I'm not his disciple. I wasn't there. That's sort of the backstory. And then Jesus has died and um, uh, he has risen. And he's appeared to the disciples two times so far. And, and John picks up a story, this story now. Now, John's quite an interesting guy. He, he, doesn't, um, he doesn't say lots of words. Every word counts. There is weight behind each of these words. And so um, uh, as we pick up this story, we're picking up a story of a man that is short of words but full of meaning. So if we could put the, the text up. John is trying to set a stage. And um, uh, John is trying to create an image of what's going on. And so if you want to read it in your Bibles, um, it is, uh, let me find it, Um, is John chapter 21 and verse 9. We're going to pick it up. So Jesus is on a beach. He is cooking a meal over a charcoal fire. He's going to feed them just like he fed them at the Last Supper. He says this, When they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals, and there were fish, fish were on it, and some bread. And Jesus said, Bring some fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of of large fish, 153. But even with so many in the net, it was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and then did the same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples 
after he was raised from the dead. So, so you need to remember, John, short of words, full of meaning. And so there's some images, there's some stuff in this, this encounter that I think we need to get to understand what's going on with Peter. So um, there's fish being cooked on a charcoal fire. And Jesus says, when you land, bring some fish to me. Which is really interesting is I think we forget this sometimes. I think we often think when we have these great ideas, these hopes, these dreams, these things we want to offer to him, that he really needs them for his kingdom. He really needs them to happen. When actually in this story, he asks them to bring fish, but he's already cooked the fish. And I think God does that with us all the time. He's already got everything he needs. But because he's his dad, our dad, because he wants us involved, he says, bring fish anyway. Bring your fish. Bring your offerings. And I think often we miss out on what God has for us. And we miss out on it because we just doubt what we have to bring. We're concerned about it. We compare it. We worry about it. And actually, the joy for Jesus is taking what we've got and using it. If you think of the first calling, he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what he says to fishermen. Said sort of more, more commonly, come, any of you that are dog owners, come. That's the call, come. Obediently follow, come, follow me. Spend your time with me, learn from me. Be, be embroiled in my world. And I will take what you're good at, fishermen, and use it for my kingdom. That's the call. Come. Here, boy, here, boy. Follow me. I will take what you're good at and use it for me. So um, that's my call when I try and find people to volunteer with steps. So if you would like to come into schools, come. Tell me what you're good at, and I bet I can find a way to do it. Um, I was in Filmer Church once, and this man came up to me, and he went, I bet you can't use me, which is always a nice challenge. And I said, so who are you? What do you do? And he said, I armor white blood cells. <laughs> I still don't really understand what he does, but I think he makes our immune system better. Um, uh, and I work nights. And I work in schools in the day. So uh, I fought for a while. And I said, well, well, what do you do? And he says, so he goes home and he makes himself dinner at seven in the morning. And um, then he goes to bed. And so um, I said, well, what about if I take you into school just before you have your morning dinner and, um, uh, and you explain from your scientific point of view why you have a faith, why you think God is real. And so that's what he does. He comes into school in the mornings and he just talks as a scientist why it is totally acceptable and reasonable to have a profound faith in a creator being. And then he goes home to bed. So come and do what you do, but do it for him. So if you want to challenge me, I have a stall out there. Come and tell me what you do. I bet we can find a way. Anyway, so Jesus says this, come and do what you do and do it for me, and stop worrying about your fishes. He's got fishes. He's got what he needs, but there is this deep, profound joy in using what we have to offer. So John says, you know, they turn up, and he says, come and have breakfast. Bring your fish. And then the second thing he says, which is quite interesting, uh, he says that, that they then ask 
who he was, but he knew he was the Lord. And we've just had this magnificent series called Magnificent, where we've been looking at the other, the Godhood of uh, of Jesus. We've been looking at all those sort of wonders that we struggle to put words on. And that's what's going on here a little. I am, when I'm in school, one of the things I have to do is explain religious words. The incarnation is one of those words that children in school want to know about, or their teachers want them to know about, really. And, um, uh, and the incarnation is funny because many of you have had chili. It's nice, it's hot. Chili con carne is chili with meat. The incarnation is God with meat. God put aside some of his godhood and he put on meat. He stepped around, he walked around in meat. And the disciples knew Jesus as God with meat. But this guy sitting on the beach isn't just the incarnation. This is the risen Jesus. He isn't just God with meat. He is the image, he is the firstborn. He is the the promise of what is to come for all new believers. He is sitting there sort of in his new heavenly body, the same heavenly bodies that we all get. And so they're like, we know it's him, but the edges have gone. He's smoothed out. I, I don't know what they saw, but they knew it was him, but he was different. He wasn't just the incarnation. This was the glorious Christ the one that we read about in Revelations, the, the one that you and I pray to when we are struggling, the one that we sing to, is not just the incarnation. He is the glorious. And he's sitting there on the beach, cooked them dinner, invited them to dinner. Or breakfast, I should say. And, um, and Jesus says there, well, John says this about Jesus, this is the third time, third time. Remember, he's setting a stage full of meaning. Jesus is feeding them. There are coals, which is important. And this is the third time. Free is a symbol of completion. Free is about something being finished. This is a moment of finishing for Peter. Jesus is going to do something in this conversation that that sort of uh, makes Peter more who God made him to be is going to undo some of the things that have happened in Peter's life. So, so that's what's going on. That's the scene. Just checking. I've said everything I want to say. Okay, can we do the next slide? I'll read on a little bit. We have a temperature warning. I, I haven't even, it's not Dennis preaching. We have temperature warnings when you preach. I'm just a little bit calmer. So... <laughs> uh, is that what it is? Oh, I, I thought I was getting measured and then it goes down. No. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're up to verse 15. And it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. He sees everything. He knows everything. You, you know I love you. And Jesus says this, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly 
love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Three times, three denials, round a charcoal fire. If you've ever been near a fire, that the smell is invocative, it brings memories. In this moment, Jesus has plunged him back to that moment, that place. I'm not his disciple. I'm not his disciple. I, I wasn't even there chopping someone's ear off with a sword, if you read the story. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. So this is the beginning of completion. This is the beginning of fixing something for Peter. Peter, the, 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 the rock on which the church will be built. We are here because of this conversation. Because Jesus decided to finish the good work that he promised to complete. All of us that sit there and feel that my, my, we might be mildly unfinished with God. God promises to complete his good works in us. But Peter's feeling a little bit in a hard place. Because Jesus is taken back with smells and with food and with questions to a place that hurts, that is painful. My guess is he knew he was forgiven. And the issue isn't so much him being forgiven by the Father, by Jesus, but it's something more internal, that can he forgive himself? Can he move on? Every time he smells a charcoal fire, I'm not his disciple. I'm not his disciple. I wasn't even there. I don't know if you've ever been in that place that some things, haunt might be the wrong word, but it's there and we can't move on in those places. And um, Jesus cares about those things. The gospel doesn't mean we are simply just forgiven. The gospel means so much more and it means that we are restored And Jesus is sitting down, about to restore. But for Peter, it's like going to the dentist. He knows it's good for him, but it's blooming going to (laughs) hurt. And sometimes we may avoid Jesus a little, like we avoid the dentist. We know it's good for us, but this is going to hurt. Um, I, I, in schools, I work with um, a counsellor. We run bereavement courses. We work with kids that have experienced loss, whether it's someone's died or they've moved. Um, and actually, quite a lot of our work is with immigrants at the moment that are just desperately missing their home that has been destroyed or something. And um, we run courses with them. And um, I say, should we say that to these children? To her? Uh, It's a can of worms. And I was like, that's my explanation. We shouldn't go there. And she looks at me and she goes, it's a can of worms. And I'm like, do we want to open the can of worms? And she's like, there's still a can of worms. And for many of us, we have some cans of worms that we're we're just keeping the lid on because we know it's going to hurt. 
Uh, it's a can of worms, my counselor friend would say. And Jesus would like to get to it. Because though we are forgiven, we may be inhibited. And when it comes to bring our fish, we're even more loath to bring our fish because we have our cans of worms, our worries, our concerns. And what if he doesn't accept it? And how can I do this? But it's a can of worms. And Jesus goes after cans of worms. And so Peter, my guess, is thinking things like this. How can I love others if I can't even love myself? Peter's thinking something like, how can I... Let me get this, my wording right. How can I... Jesus just said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. How can I feed others when I can't even feed myself? He's been given the responsibility of the whole of the church. How can I lead others if I can't even lead myself? Can you imagine those things sitting in him? And some of us have not stepped into God's dreams and his hopes for us to come and do what you're good at, but do it for him because you ask yourself, I can't love myself. I can't control myself. I can't lead myself. I can't feed myself. And Jesus is about to do business with this. He's going after it. In fact, the, the denial that Peter does, his free denials, his, his sin, it was sin, actually is the surface of something else, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that sometimes our sin is indicative of something below the surface? And Jesus isn't after just the sin. He's after the belief and the values below it. Jesus is after, how can I love others if I can't love myself? That's what he's really after. He's after, how can I feed others if I can't feed myself? Jesus is after, how can I lead others if I can't control myself? He's after that belief. I don't know how many of us have beliefs that actually Jesus would like to see changed. But that's what he's going for, really. Um, I was, um, do you want to put the next slide up, Karen? I was um, working in school recently, and um, I had this moment when I realized something about the world we live in, the culture we live in, um, that you and I breathe, we share our appraisals, everything wrapped up in this. And it's to do with this sentence I've put on screen. It says this, my worth is equal to my performance plus what others think about me. I wonder if that was Peter's belief back then, all those years ago in that day. My value, my, my contribution, my, my space is equal to my performance, how I've done, plus what others think of me. I wonder if that was the belief Jesus was after. It sounds fairly reasonable. I put on, on a slide once in school and the teachers all nodded. And I was like, no! This is not true. There is something bigger than this, isn't there? 
There is something bigger than this. And though we live in a world where appraisals and things like that are done with that, you and I live under something bigger, and Peter lives under something bigger. And so he's sitting there feeling like my worth is equal to my performance plus what others think of me. Why do you think he's gone back fishing? Because I can do good at this. My value is all wrapped up in this. And everyone knows I'm a good fisherman and I'm the keen one that's going to drag in a net full of 153 fish. But Jesus has something bigger. Our worth might be like that if you and I just lived in this world, but we live in another world, in another kingdom. Scripture says that you and I are aliens and strangers in this land. But we breathe this in like oxygen and we swim in it like water. But we live in something else. We live for another country. We live for another time. I, I, was, um, I was walking around school once. Um, part of what I do in one of my schools is I'm a chaplain. Um, I don't really know what that means except for people coming and talk to me. Generally teachers, which is really interesting. And, um, and then the teachers recommend the kids should come and talk to me, and then they sit looking sullen. Um, uh, but I was walking along a corridor, and um, it's usually quite a noisy corridor, and it wasn't. And I realized they were doing some kind of group class test. And as I got to this room where one of the PE teachers who teaches RE, um, uh, I walked past the door and looked in, and she looked at me like I was gold. And she said, please come in, please come in. I don't know what to do with this. And um, uh, so I walked in, and I looked at the screen. And written on the screen were these words. It was an RE test, and it said this. You are of immeasurable worth and therefore deserving of sacrificial love. Discuss. <laughs> so I looked at the screen and went, yep. Yeah. And then I looked around the room. And there were downcast souls. There were hurting faces. And a teacher going, I don't know what that means. And for those of us that are children of the king, we know intrinsically what it means to be of immeasurable worth and therefore deserving of sacrificial love. But actually, for a class of kids that haven't grown up in the privilege of church or haven't known Jesus as their saviour, who live in a world where they breathe this stuff on the screen. It is destroying. And so I started with their parents. So, so your parents love you. You're a measurable worth to your parents. They drive you everywhere. They sacrifice everything. Don't you get it? Uh, and I, so I gave a few examples and there's only one real example, isn't it? That we are immeasurable worth and deserving of sacrificial love. So I put my arms out and I said, Jesus went to the cross and said, you are of immeasurable worth. And you are therefore deserving. Not for anything you've done, not for your own fishes, but because I chose it, you are worth sacrificial love and the teacher got it some of the kids got it um, the beautiful thing for me after was sitting chatting with a few of them and this girl told me her story she's a middle sister 
Um, she's got the beautiful older sister, the clever younger sister, and she sits in the middle of the two, breathing this rubbish in. And um, she feels worthless. And um, she was talking about her dad was pushing her to harder and more. And she didn't, you know, she thought she couldn't make herself prettier. So she would go with the, I'm going to perform by doing well in school. And she's doing really well in school. But she just was trying harder, but nothing was good enough. And um, she was telling me a story. And um, uh, I gave her the, um, uh, a link to a good, good father. As I said, there's another dad that doesn't look at you in the same way as your dad does. I'd love you to listen to this song. And so I gave her the song. She came back in the day after and she went, that's a really long song. <laughs> and then she said this, but it isn't even finished. And I was like, I think it is. No offence, it's finished. And she got this piece of paper out and she read me an extra verse she had written to the song we sing in church. And it was prophetic. And just Jesus speaking to her, her good, good father was saying some more. Just mind-blowing. Just these spaces of God wanting to speak in, whether it's to Peter or to my friend Hannah in school. Just, we are of immeasurable worth. And because of the worth that God gives to us, we are therefore, not for anything we have done, deserving of his sacrificial love. And so, like I said, you and I, this stuff, and it may be true sometimes, you may sit with an appraisal which is dead on right, and you might need to try harder, but there is something other that you need to take hope in, and you may need to try harder at work, I don't know, but there is something other. This does not define you, this does not shape you, because you are not a citizen of this country you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And what God speaks over you should have so much more weight than something else. So um, another take on it is something C.S. Lewis said. Um, C.S. Lewis said this. Um, that is what mortals misunderstand. This is what you and I get wrong sometimes. They say of some temporal, short, small suffering, no future bliss will make up for it not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and even turn this agony into glory. If you and I are citizens of heaven, the things we go through, the pains we go through, the moments we hit, we are not stuck there because we live part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, from the moment we say yes to it, is invading our world, is invading our moments, is invading our spaces, renewing, refreshing, making new, speaking new life into, undoing. And for Peter, what is happening on this beach is heaven walking backwards and taking the agony of the memory and the moment and his own betrayal and his shame of not reaching his own standard which some of us feel we wish we were more our own standards. And heaven is invading that space and bringing you. That's what's going on here. Christus is an amazing thing when um, he inspires us to help our community. 
um, and he gets £10 out and he gives it to someone. But um, uh, we, we do something different in school with £10, which is not as glorious. Um, we, we take £10 and we say, how much is it worth? £10. How much is it worth? £10. How much is it worth? £10. Now, I carry on with armpits, and, uh, but I'm in church, so I won't do that. <laughs> but it's good fun. I just couldn't do it. This is worth £10 no matter what is done to it because someone decided it was worth it. And you are worth Jesus dying on the cross for because he decided you were worth that mat. And no matter what you do to yourself, no matter what you get dragged through by others, you are still worth what he decided. And in those appraisals, in those moments, when you reach the harsh word of someone criticizing, whether it's true or not, no matter what has happened to you in this life, you are still worth the cross because he decided you are worth what someone is willing to pay for you. And so that statement, my worth is equal to my performance plus others' opinions, is buried under the statement, you are worth what someone will pay for you. And as you walk out of those spaces feeling defeated or disappointed in yourself and wish you had tried harder, your worth does not change as you are worth what he will pay for you. And the beautiful thing is, he doesn't leave you like that. Heaven breaks loose and works backwards, restoring. And in this story, we have just a small snippet of what's going on. Jesus isn't after just dealing with the sin. He's after the beliefs and the values underneath. It's really funny. Um, I sin most when I'm hungry. It's true. I sin most when I am either hungry, lonely, or disappointed in myself. So keep me fed, Kate. <laughs> Stick around and um, help me do well. Um, but I do. It's true. I, they're, they're, they're my triggers to sin. There's some beliefs and things that are under there. And one of the biggest triggers I think I might share with Peter. So if we, we go on to the next Next bit of the text. So picking it up, I've skipped a few bits because I knew I'd never squeeze it all in the time. We're moving on to verse 20. So he's gone for this walk with Jesus. Jesus has said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he's taken Peter's yeses and he's replaced them with a calling, hasn't he? Feed my, feed my lambs, the little ones. Take care of my sheep pastor them and then he said feed them teach my sheep as well and so here's the calling of the church so Peter at his lowest ebb in the moment of his worst memory of his life Jesus gives him more that's what Jesus does with us because our performance does not dictate our worth Peter's performance in that moment did not dictate his worth it was actually what Jesus had for him and so they're walking on a little bit more, having a bit more of a conversation about it. Peter's probably feeling a little bit better, but um, 
he, he decides to let it all come out now. And so Peter turns and sees that the disciple who Jesus loved, John, was following them. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at supper. And he said, who's going to betray him? And Peter, when Peter saw him, he asked this, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answers, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must come. Same sound, calling your dog to you. You must follow me. So deep down in Peter, there's another thing that I share, comparing. He's had the most amazing restoration with Jesus. And then Jesus is there and he takes his eye off of Jesus and he looks over there and compares himself to someone. I don't know if you do that. I do. I can have the most amazing times and moments with God and I instantly compare myself someone else. I've always wanted to be a worship leader. I compare myself. Mark James that we've talked about, um, he told me once that I have creative rhythm. <laughs> I didn't pick a guitar up after that moment because I compare myself. We do that, don't we? And I think one of the biggest things that stops us walking into what God has for us as we take our eyes off of Jesus and we look at someone else and we compare. And Jesus' answer is this. What happens to him, what is it to you? This is one of the last conversations in the book of John, and it's about humans comparing themselves. There's got to be significance in that. You must follow me. And so... So bringing this all into land, I guess I want to say as Jesus restores, as he walks heavens backwards into our life, we have these sayings, these things I'm not worthy of, and it's all been influenced by the world we live in, our culture we live in, but you and I live in a different culture. We are not meant to conform to this, whether it is comparing yourself or whether it is only feeling worthwhile when you're doing well. And actually, he says, fix your eyes on me. Stop comparing. What happens to them happens to them. You must follow me. And I don't know what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. We all do it differently. Some of us, it's through engrossing ourselves in the word. Some of it is through engrossing ourselves in worship. Some of us, engrossing ourselves in the prophetic. Um, But you must keep your eyes on Jesus. You must not be fed by your worth is equal to your performance plus others' opinions because that will bring you down. But actually to orientate yourself around Jesus, to follow him, to um, have your identity defined by him, those are the things that means to follow Jesus. And so whatever it means for you to follow Jesus... This is his solution. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And his final thing he writes in the book of John is, you must, must follow me and not compare yourself. Bring your fishes. Enjoy him using your fishes.
Let me pray. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. Heaven works backwards. Father God, thank you that you are into completeness, that you finished the good works you have started. And I pray for the, thank you that you've forgiven us, but I pray for those bits of us where we don't go back there we don't revisit, we don't try in those spaces. Um, we're, we, we have not met our own standards. And Father, I pray that you come into our can of worms and you restore us and that we find our worth and our value in you again as we offer up our false beliefs. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Chris. Great word. Um, I'm just going to say the blessing, and uh, then we need to hurry to get our kids. Um, if you would like prayer for anything, uh, maybe you want to respond to Chris's message or the Lord's message through Chris, you know what to do. Go to my right, your left, and uh, the prayer team will pray for you. Before the service, uh, the prayer team felt that there was somebody who, was, uh, who had restricted movement in their left shoulder, there was a man with a hip replacement uh, who ha has had a hip replacement and experiencing problems. There's a young girl with a bee sting near her eye, uh, somebody who's suffering from an uneven heartbeat, someone with uh, uh, panic attacks, somebody uh, with clicking and locking up of the ref left knee, and somebody with breathlessness and, the tight and a tight chest. If those seem to resonate with you, go to my right, your left, and we'll pray for you. And then finally, I just want to say, if uh, you felt that God started something when we were, when I asked you to put your hands on your body and just sort of wait on the Lord, if something started then and you would like more prayer related to that, again, go to my right, your left, and we will pray for you. Now let's just stand, shall we? Thank you again, Chris. Thank you. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us his peace. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. Tell your friends about Jesus and bring them along.